The Finding Holy podcast is where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And you'll get to hear everyone's laundry routines. To listen to the Finding Holy podcast, go to aahales.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Everybody, we are excited to launch this one, a new show. If you've been on following us on social media, you've already seen it. Martyrs and Missionaries is now out. It is hosted by Elise. It is 10 to 15 minutes every week, every Wednesday. A new episode will come out. So before we had the, you know, Tuesday Revived Radio, Revive Thoughts Thursday, you had that one day in the middle. What are you going to do? Yeah, all filled in now. Now we got it for you. Uh, revi- uh, not revived. It is the first of the non-revived <laughs> shows, too. So that'll maybe throw you off when you're typing Revive Martyrs and Missionaries. But we couldn't bring them back to life. We tried. It didn't go well. Martyrs and Missionaries is a new podcast um, where we do, again, these stories. There are so many people we have to skip because we can't find sermons by them. Um, William Carey is one that has just it just broken my heart that I haven't been able to find anything by him. But there's so many of these great people. Originally, the show was just going to be martyrs. Um, but as my wife did research, it was kind of depressing. So we threw missionaries in yeah. there too. And uh, it's it's about basically just these brave people who stood for the faith, either by going to the nations and telling people about Christ or uh, by going and, you know, living their faith out and dying for Christ. And one thing that's crazy too, you're hearing this show and you might think, that's a pretty cool show idea. It's, I'm sure there's lots of other people doing that. You would not be correct, actually. This is the yeah. first show like this. That's and what we thought, too. <laughs> we thought the same thing. I told my wife when she said the idea for it last summer, I said, girl, that, that show definitely exists. It's a sweet idea, but that's got to exist, right? You know, Voice of the Martyrs, right? But actually, Voice of the Martyrs is contemporary, you know, persecution. Right. There are currently people that are being persecuted. Not people in history. Uh, they've right. done books and stuff, but they're not currently running a podcast on what's happened to the people in history. There's no one else doing this, so this will be the first of its kind. Maybe other shows will follow, but this is Revive Studios bringing you the first Martyrs and Missionaries kind of show that you can listen to, and we really want you to check it out. We we think it will be fantastic, and we think it will be just another way to encourage you in your walk with God right. as you look at these great I men. I think that's the most impactful thing is is it has so much potential for being super encouraging to just take, again, a little bite-sized moment of your day, a little 15-minute window to look at someone who was so passionate and, you know, would stop at nothing to glorify God with how they're convicted. It's encouraging to anyone's day in life because it makes you think, I should, I, I could be more <laughs> passionate about my faith. I could I could be more bold about my faith. Um, it, it, it has that, that potential for just being really inspired by someone that was on fire for Jesus. So we encourage you to go subscribe. In this episode you're about to listen to about John and Betty Sam, Joel and I actually recorded it months before it came out. It was going to come out kind of on its own, but we have synchronized it with martyrs and missionaries. So a little, a little spoiler alert for you in this story, John and Betty Sam are going to end up being martyrs um, for you and also missionaries. So a good double take there. And they, uh, we tell you part of the story, uh, but you will need to subscribe to Martyrs and Missionaries and go hear how that story ends. And it is an incredible story. So you will not want to miss the ending on it. Yeah, search for Martyrs and Missionaries in whatever whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. Just just search for that and subscribe to that. That way you can go over there after you're done listening to this episode. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. We say that the door of heaven is shut to everyone who does not come through Christ. And yet, while millions are dying without having heard his name, we are shamefully cold and indifferent toward foreign mission work. 
Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon comes to you from John Stamm. It was preached in April of 1932 at Moody Bible College in Chicago. Joel, when John Stamm preached this, he was about two years off from his own martyrdom. He and his wife Betty went to some of the hardest places they could go for the kingdom of God. In many ways, they would have been the martyr couple that Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, if you've heard of them, they would have been looking up to. And if you haven't heard and listened to the sermon by Jim Elliot over at Revived Radio, go check that out real quick. Go subscribe and download that one so you can have it ready after this one. Troy John Stam, he was born in 1907 in New Jersey. Betty, his wife, was born in the States and raised in China by her parents who were missionaries there. In 1925, Betty famously wrote in her journal a covenant that God could have her whole life. Coincidentally, around the same time, John, John Stam also wrote a very similar covenant in his journal at the same time. Only in retrospect, years later, were they able to compare and realize that they both kind of devoted their lives to God at about the same time. They met each other at Moody Bible College, and John had grown a passion to go to China with the China Inland Mission, which is a missions organization that Hudson Taylor had started. He had told his brother in a letter that he couldn't live with the idea that a million a month were going to the grave without knowing Christ there. That line, a million a month, is the exact line that Hudson Taylor would use famously to encourage people to check out the uh, China Inland Mission. And I think this is interesting, just a little kind of putting it on the context. Taylor would have visited Moody towards the end of his life. He was actually good friends with D.L. Moody. And um, we have done episodes on D.L. Moody. We've done episodes on Hudson Taylor. We go check all of them out. They're all fantastic. In fact, in one of the D.L. Moody episodes, you can actually hear a very short clip of the voice of D.L. Moody in the very first film we did. So if you haven't, check that one out. But back to Hudson Taylor, this would have been about 20 years before the Stams got to Moody Bible College. Very likely, there were professors and people at Moody who were repeating that famous line from the missionary, having remembered seeing him, you know, give conferences and speeches and stuff like that. So there's just this deep interweb kind of connectedness between their stories. And in some ways, I kind of see John Stam and Betty kind of almost as the finish of what Hudson Taylor had started. Um, but while at Moody Bible College, John and Betty realized they uh, they enjoyed each other's company. They, they, were, they were interested in one another for betrothal and whatnot, but they had a problem. Mm, yeah, the, uh, the, the drama of Bible college relationships, <laughs> right? At the time, the China Inland Mission was asking for single men to go to some of the hardest places to minister in China, hard work, gritty work. John Stamm had agreed to be one of those men. Betty was also headed to China before him, but they weren't going to the same areas of the country. They had this very romantic day on the lake, right, where they had a picnic, they sailed on a boat, they talked, got to know each other really well, and they discussed the fact that God was sending them to different parts of China. They trusted that if God wanted them to marry that they would find a way to do so. I did mention Jim Elliott. Part of that was just to advertise Revived Radio, but goodness gracious, they really, these two have a very similar kind of a dating mm. vibe where they're like, I like you, but I don't know if God is going to take us to the same place. And lo and behold, God does. Yeah. Um, John gives this address we're going to listen to in 1932. Uh, then he goes on to a language study program and eventually works, ends up 
on a Japanese cruise boat headed to China. And I think it's kind of interesting. While on that boat, he decides to take the lowest cabin possible. He felt it was unfair that he could enjoy this nice cruise um, while other missionaries are suffering on the mission field. And when he gets to China, he finds out that where he was wanting to go, he's actually being rerouted to Shanghai, that the director of the region he was heading to had been kidnapped by communist soldiers. No one was running it, and they were kind of re regrouping in Shanghai. And who does he run into in Shanghai? But Betty, who also had been regrouped to that area when discussing what to do. They realize there's really no reason we shouldn't get married at this point. We're right here, right now. Seems like God's timing. So they do, and they get married. And it wasn't long after that that they got pregnant. Betty gave birth to their daughter, Helen Priscilla. About a year after that, they were in a village and they heard that communist soldiers were in the area. And so they, they wanted to investigate further to see if this was true. You know, there's all these rumors that go around. But the communist soldiers had already slipped through a pass in the mountains, bypassing the main defenses that the village had. And before anyone knew for sure that they were actually coming. They were already in the streets and they were looting. The soldiers carried John away and very soon his wife and his daughter were also arrested and taken away. Now, we have some special plans for the rest of the story for a future episode here at Revised Studios, but the important part is that throughout the entire story, John and Betty were firm in their devotion to Christ and to the end, and they will eventually be killed by the communist soldiers, partially because of that desire to stay and do missions work in a hard area. But their three-month-old daughter, by some very incredible miracles and circumstances, was able to get back to America safely in the hands of family, and she was not killed during this situation. As heartbreaking as their martyrdom was. They inspired many to head to the mission field and give their lives to the gospel. As I said at the top of the episode, we're in the middle of the John and Betty Stam story, and you're going to listen to this amazing commemoration uh, that he gives just about two years before he dies. But if you want to hear the story in full and hear how it ends, and it is an incredible story of how what happens to their baby, I will spoil that a little bit for you. It's good. Um, and just these different things that happen in their life and how they kind of come to their end. You'll need to go check out Elisa's show, Martyrs and Missionaries, on Revive Studios. I highly, again, encourage you to subscribe. You will want to hear the ending. It's, it's a really good story. Yeah, subscribe. There'll be a link in the description if you need it. It'll be on our social medias if you follow us there. And uh, you can hit pause before you listen to this really great commemoration. If you want to hear it in full, that's fine, too. of God, we were led to come to the Moody Bible Institute two years or more ago, impelled by the desire to equip ourselves more fully for the service of our Lord. We thank God for this place and for the lessons we have learned here. And now we grasp this opportunity to express our gratitude to everyone who has helped to make our training here a possibility, especially to those under whose faithful ministry we have grown in the knowledge of our Lord. Friendships have been made here which have already been and will forever be a source of rich blessing. And on this morning, our hearts beat a bit more quickly as we realize that this particular section of what has so often been called our Institute family will never meet again as we do today until we meet at the feet of our blessed Lord. But now, as we turn our thoughts from the associations of this place toward the work for which we have been preparing, there is born in us the great challenge of the task that is ours. 
and the audience seated before me, there are many men and women engaged in some form of Christian activity beside our present student body now in training for the work of the Lord. To you, my friends, and to the church of Christ at large, as well as to us, comes the same challenge of an unsown field awaiting those who bear the precious seed. Our Lord told us that the field is the world. In politics today, men are thinking in terms of international affairs. The business world combs all the continents for new markets. And even in daily life, every newspaper reader works on becoming world conscious. But we, the people of God, have not fully recognized that we are to be a testimony to the world. We say that the door of heaven is shut to everyone who does not come through Christ. And yet while millions are dying without having heard his name, we are shamefully cold and indifferent toward foreign mission work. Lost populations are growing in numbers daily, but we are not reaching them. We're not even matching their increasing numbers with increased efforts to bring them the gospel. Not only are the unreached populations growing, but with the frontiers of civilization forging ahead and education advancing, superstition and idolatry are breaking down. Now is the time, as never before, to reach men whose minds are swept of old barriers. Get there before communistic atheism comes in like a flood and raises other barriers far more difficult to level. And do it before this generation of the lost passes into Christless graves. Our answer last year to this challenge of the pagan millions was less than two cents a week for foreign missions from the average Protestant in the United States. And this year, we are giving even less. Our own civilized land also challenges us today as Christian workers. This country, once so strong in its Christian testimony, is becoming increasingly godless. Our educational systems are taking us away from God. The old standards of morality are going away, and those great and holy truths, once so sacred, are becoming the butt of jokes to furnish humor for our newspapers. Here and there, we do see a bright testimony to the truth of God, but as a whole, those who do know the truth as it is in Christ Jesus are not answering the challenge of the day by preaching it as it should be preached. If the foreign field and the godless civilization about us both call for the faithful planting of divine dynamite that will break stony hearts and save souls, the church of Christ surely has a claim upon our service. I am thinking now of that section of the Protestant church which we call conservative and fundamental. Those who would rise up in quick denial should they be called modernistic, our own people. We do not have that abounding life. And we seem to have lost that happy spirit of fellowship with one another and of joy in God which ought to make us an attraction to the unsaved. Our prayer meetings have lost the place and the power they once had. And many of our people do not know the joy of winning others for the Lord. Instead of reaching out for the unsaved, great numbers of our churches are not holding on to what they have. Complaints are being made about the, the deadness and lack of interest among our church members. They tell us that our young people who have been brought up in the church are hard to hold on to. But is it any wonder? How can a dead and dry orthodoxy lacking the joy and power of true Christianity ever hope to hold its own? We have been guilty of acting more like the beleaguered garrison of a doomed fortress than like the soldiers of our conquering Christ. Surely our churches call for men and women to faithfully labor in the word and doctrine. Such is a challenge of the task that is ours. 
the lost world, the civilized world, and the church of Christ all look to us and inquire, what will you do about such conditions? If there's a challenge in the work itself, the difficulties under which the work must be done are equally challenging. We do thank God for those who are looking upward and at times like these planning new advances into enemy territory. But large sections of the line are falling back. Supplies are not coming up from the rear. Contributions are falling off. And worst of all, the spirit of aggression is gone. We are not tremendously upset to see missionaries returning for lack of funds and volunteers unable to go forward for the same reason. It does not pain us to realize that light is being denied to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. All forms of Christian work at home and abroad are quite naturally feeling the effect of the depression, but we have not risen to the occasion and demonstrated to this world that God's people at home as well as on the field can sacrifice joyfully to keep his work going forward. As Christian workers, what attitude will we take and what will we do with incomes falling and conditions seemingly impossible? We dare not resort to methods unworthy of our master to raise funds for his work. Will we make a retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? Or dare we advance at God's command in the face of the impossible? Moses at the Red Sea faced just such a condition as we face today. His people were to be a testimony for the one true God to the tribes of the earth. Civilized Egypt from which God had delivered them by his mighty power seemed about to overwhelm them. They were weak in resources, for they were soon to come to the very last of their provisions. But worst of all was the spirit of the people. They had ceased to look forward to victory, were murmuring and complaining, and in their hearts they still preferred the settled state of bondage in Egypt to venturing out on the faithfulness of their mighty God. For the moment, they had lost the sense of his presence and of his power. In such a crisis, with everything against him, Moses could do only one thing. He prayed. And though his prayer is unrecorded, we read that the answer is swift and emphatic. When you cry to me, speak for the people that they go forward. Today, as in Moses' day, the host of darkness would shout with glee to see the testimony of God hindered in foreign lands. Our Egypt, that godless civilization from which we have been saved by mighty power, would gladly reclaim us as the slaves of sin. Our supplies seem so inadequate, and our people, too, have ceased to look forward to the victory. What will we do? Surely we can follow Moses' example to great profit. We can pray. And what do you think the answer is? Will our God, who once commanded us to preach the gospel to every nation, order a retreat because conditions seem impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses that called for advance only if funds were plentiful and if no hardship or self-denial were involved. On the contrary, we were told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with it, victory in Christ. Surely his answer today is just what it was in Moses' day. Speak to the people that they go forward. Friends, the challenge of our task with all its attendant difficulties is enough to fill our hearts with dismay. And if we look only to ourselves, to our weakness, we are overcome with forebodings of defeat. But the answering challenge in our master's command to go forward should fill us with joy and with the expectation of victory. 
He knows our weakness and our lack of supplies. He knows the roughness of the way. And His command carries with it the assurance of all we need for the work. Of course we want to be assured of our support. Who cares to go forward in any enterprise, secular or religious, unless he can be reasonably sure that it will not have to be dropped for lack of funds? But let us remind ourselves that even in the business world, there is nothing at all sure. Incomes are falling. Men are losing employment. Bank accounts are being wiped out. Do we as Christian workers want to be sure of support? then let us not put our trust in men or in any God-dishonoring methods of raising funds for the work. These are not certain enough. We have it on the highest authority that the promises of faith that it might be sure. The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today and we need not fear the result of trusting Him. Our way is plain. We must not retreat in any work which we are convinced is in His will and for His glory. We dare not turn back because the way looks dark. Classmates, some of us may be called of God to be Christian businessmen, but may God grant that none of us called of him for full-time gospel ministry may forget his call and turn back to secular work because we are afraid support will be lacking. Of this we may be sure that if we have been redeemed by Christ's blood and are called into his service, then his work done in his way and for his glory will never lack his support. We must go forward in the face of the impossible even if we know only the next step. We have often sung, I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step is enough for me. Did we mean it? Then let us suit our actions to our songs and we shall find that new supplies each hour I meet while traveling on to God. We may find ourselves at the place where we will have to drink the bitter waters of Mara, but our captain's presence can sweeten even bitter water. We may come to the very last bit of our provisions with starvation staring us in the face, but he is still able to give us each day our daily bread. And what if we should, like Alan Gardner, die of starvation in the fight? Like him, we will find our moments of suffering glowing with the sunshine of Christ's presence. And we will have nothing but praise for the grace and mercy bestowed upon us. We dare go forward sure that he is able to make all grace abound to us, that we always have all sufficiency in all things and may abound to every good work. Some of us will be called on by God to labor in our churches at home. And in answering that challenge, we must teach our people anew the joy of walking with God and of witnessing for him. Let us show them how to sacrifice joyfully for his work so that in these hard times, the world may see that during a trial of great affliction, the abundance of our joy, yes, and perhaps even our deep poverty may abound for the riches of generosity in supporting the work of God. And whether we labor in the churches or in evangelistic work or in missions, we must all seek to answer the cry of this godless civilization by turning men to him who saves from the penalty and power of sin. This bewildered age needs to know that only the foundation of God stands sure. God is using these days to tear many a man loose from the things to which his heart has clung. It is ours to show them the incorruptible riches which bank failures and economic conditions cannot touch. It is ours to show them in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ and in personal communion with him a joy unspeakable and full of glory that cannot be affected by any outside circumstances. 
Some of us, again, will be called on by God for foreign service to answer the challenge of the lost millions. Perhaps we will be called upon to undergo a test of the reality of our commission by weary months of waiting for money and transportation. But if truly called of God, this will only draw us closer to him and lay a greater burden of prayer upon us and send us out finally with greater determination than ever that we ourselves will not be guilty of delay when the need is so great. We too must press forward for it is not time for delay when a million souls a month pass into Christless graves in China with other countries adding their hundreds of thousands. We must bring them that message that will deliver them from the power of Satan and bring them into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For every Christian, there is this challenge of man's need and of God's command to make all haste in the propagation of the gospel. Let us be sure that we are engaged in what is really his work and then despite the difficulties, the remembrance of his faithfulness in the past will give us renewed hope and courage for the future. People of God, does it not thrill our hearts today to realize that we do not answer such a challenge in our own strength? Think of it. God himself is with us for our captain. The Lord of hosts is present in person in every field of conflict to encourage us and to fight for us. With such a captain who has never lost a battle or deserted a soldier in distress or failed to get through the needed supplies in time, who would not accept the challenge to go forward bearing precious seed? In the middle of the address, he says, Our way is plain. We must not retreat in any work which we are convinced is in his will and for his glory. We dare not turn back because the way looks dark. It would have been very easy for John Sam and his wife to go, You know, we have a kid. Things are getting pretty rough. Let's go ahead and we'll, we'll do this when things are settling down or cooling down or we're going to get out of here. Um, but I think he might have thought back to his own commencement address two years before where he said, no, the gospel has to go. These people still need to hear the gospel. And if we retreat, who's going to tell them in their darkest moment about God? Even though it may look crazy, they're literally on a battlefield. They thought to themselves, it's worth staying here to preach the gospel. And I, I think that they will be remembered for all of eternity for that sacrifice and willingness to do it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Chips Ross. Chip was born in North Los Angeles in Canyon County, California. When he was 10, he was attending a Sunday evening service where there was a drama from D.L. Moody, and it made him realize that he didn't know Jesus personally. He enrolled at Master's College with the intention of using an English degree to be a newspaper reporter. But through church ministry, missions trips, the semester of study in Israel, he recognized God was calling him to be a pastor. He was introduced to his wife, Christiana, through some mutual friends. The first struggle in the relationship was learning how to pronounce her name correctly. I might have not even pronounced that name correctly, but it looks Christiana. They have four children. 
They live in Fresno currently, and he has been serving as a pastor at Westwood Baptist Church since November of 2015. One last time, we really want you to go and check out the newest show from Revive Studios, Martyrs and Missionaries. This week's episode of Martyrs and Missionaries is all about the stamps. So go over to Martyrs and Missionaries, get, get a bit of encouragement, be encouraged by their story, and look forward to future episodes of Martyrs and Missionaries. You can find it by searching for it in your podcast app of choice, Martyrs and Missionaries. Or you can follow the link in the show notes of this episode. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. I hope you enjoyed that podcast, and if you did, I'd like to also invite you over to the Finding Holy podcast, where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between things that really matter in issues of faith and your everyday holy life. You'll even get to hear about the laundry routines. Go to aahales.com podcast or listen to the Finding Holy podcast wherever you choose to listen to your shows.